The mission of marriage, what is it for? Okay? Are we there? How are we doing? Any thoughts? Do I, I get going too fast sometimes. and Sometimes I think you just let it stop and just soak in a little bit. Okay? <laughs> we don't have time. Sorry. <laughs> you just said let it soak later. Okay? Uh, really, I'll say it again. I, I, I think you'll be just richly blessed if you'll, if you'll buy Keller's book and just read it. Okay? It's, it's very easy. Uh, just read a chapter a night. Okay? And just, just let it just feed you. It, it, it will. Okay? God will feed you through his writing. Okay? Um, okay. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 again. Verses uh, 25 and 27. 27 is what we're going to focus on. Okay? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay? So just think about, we're going to talk about this. What is Christ doing for the church? That he's, he's purifying us. Okay? He's, he's cleansing us so that he might present us to the Father okay? for his glory. Okay? That's what Christ is doing. We'll, we'll talk quite a bit about that. Okay? So the question, what is marriage for? Well, it's, it's actually what? We've said it several times. Mar- marriage is what? A picture of Christ in the church. Okay? Okay? So you kind of have to ask, well, then what is Christ doing with the church? That's what we should be doing with our spouse. So we'll get there. Okay, what is marriage for? The answer to that question starts with the principle that marriage is a, a friendship. That's, that's the that first blank there. Marriage is a friendship. Okay? Um, in Genesis 1 and 2, we, we, we know that uh, it, God said it's not good that man should be alone. Okay? And then if you look at 2.18, what did God do about that not good situation? Who was alone? Adam was alone. What did God do about that? He, he created a, a helpmate. It is not good that man should be alone, God said. I will make him a helper or a helpmate, okay? Fit for him. Give him just what he needs, Okay? God designed us to need horizontal relationships with those around us. This is part of our image bearing. We're created in the image of God. And God is, is a community. There's God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We don't understand that, but we know it's true. And there's interaction and communication and submission in the Godhead. There's roles in the Godhead. We, again, we don't understand that. Keller calls it the divine dance. Uh, what book is that? The Reason for God. Another great book by Tim Keller. He calls it the divine dance between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how they interact. And yet they're one. See, we don't understand that. But, but they all interact and react and, and uh, have relationship with each other. So when God created us, He didn't create us to be alone. He created us to have relationships with each other, to act and react and interact with, with other people because that's the way God is. We are created in His image. In response to this God, not good condition, God created a, a helper a helper companion, that's the next... The, the Hebrew word there is, a, is an, I don't know how to say that. E-Z-E-R. I won't try to say it. It means a helper companion. It actually means... Um, take your Bible software and triple-click on that word, however you do it on your software, and that word means a friend. Okay? It's a companion. 
It's a help need, okay? It's someone to help you, all right? That's what God created. So let's talk about friendship, and then we'll, then we'll end up, okay? Um, friendship, let's talk about some of the characteristics of friendship. The first one is, is constancy, meaning constant, okay? And let's, let's look at a, a few verses here. Proverbs chapter 17, uh, verse 17. I actually looked up, I did all of these verses early this morning on my iPad. And I thought, okay, I can do this. This works. <laughs> yeah, I did at the hotel. Um, Proverbs seventeen seventeen, A friend loves when? At all times. A brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty four. Okay. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is what? A friend who sticks closer than a brother. There's also some counterfeit friendships. These are, they use the word friend, but it's, these aren't really friends. These are not friends. Okay? Proverbs 19.4. Um, wealth brings many new friends. Okay, wait a second. That's the lottery winners, right? Okay? You win the lottery and you're going to have a lot of friends. Okay? And how long are they going to last? As long as your money lasts, okay? And what happens when the money's gone? They're gone. They're, that's a false friend, okay? A counterfeit friend. Verse 6, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. That's not a friend, though, okay? That's not the word that this is talking about. Uh, verse 7, All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do friends go far from him? Friends don't hang around poor people. Well, a false friend does hang around poor people, okay? A true friend does, okay? So they're, they're, a friend is constant. It will always be there. Next one, number two. A friend is, is transparent. Friends know each other. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay? Scripture's clear on this. Oil and perfume make a heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from what? His earnest counsel, okay? Uh... Friends correct each other. There's a lot about friendship in, in Proverbs 27. Verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes friends wound each other. But it's all for healing and help and correction. Okay? Uh, Proverbs 27, 17. A very familiar verse. Iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. By the way, when iron sharpens iron, what, what, that process does what? Creates heat. There's friction. Some of the shavings fall off, okay? But the result of that heat and friction, it takes pressure, okay? And some of the things have to fall off the metal, but the result of that is sharp, okay? Uh, that's not a, a pleasant, easy, you know, you don't put oil on it. To, you don't sharpen by putting in oil. You know, it's, it's got to rub and it's tough, okay? But that's friendship, Okay? Uh, they sharp. They're transparent. Friends know each other. A phrase that I wrote down um, that Keller uses: "Friends always let you in and never let you down." Isn't that good? And we have you have pro- how many friends do you have like that that always let you in and never let you down? <coughs> Not you don't go. You don't do that, do you? No, it's probably just just a few. Okay, that you really tell everything to. Okay, and they know you, and they can. You walk up to the friend and you say hi, and they go, "What's wrong?" It's like I didn't say anything was wrong. No, they just know. Okay, 
They just know. That's the kind of friend we're talking about, okay? There's a third one, though, that we don't normally think about, and that is friends are people who have a common passion, a common love. They, they are sympathy is sympathos, okay? Uh, the, the same passion. Um, again, I'll, I'll refer to Keller. Um, he says um, erotic love, that's, that's sexual, physical love. Erotic love can be depicted as two people looking at each other. Okay? Friendship love, which is what this is talking about. Friendship love is two people standing side by side, looking at the same object and being stirred and entranced by it together. It is the expression, you too? Have you, have you had that kind of friend? Like It's like, oh, you like doing this too? Or you like looking at that? Or you like... It's like, it's like oh, and then that's a, you strike up a friendship, don't you, okay? And that's with someone who has the same interests, passions, uh, desires, hobbies that you do, okay? Uh, friendships are more discovered than created. It's interesting, isn't it? Okay? Friendships are more discovered than created. Uh, I'll read, a, Keller quotes uh, C.S. Lewis. I'll read a brief passage here. Friendship arises when two or more discover that they have in common some insight or interest. Emerson said, um, as Emerson said, do you love me means do you see the same truth? Or at least, do you care about this same truth? The man who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance, that person can be our friend. That is why those pathetic people who simply... This is, this is interesting. This happens in schools. I see this with kids. There are some kids... Who just they just can't make friends. They just I don't know. There's just something. I don't know what it is. There's something wrong. Okay, and a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Scripture says right. Um, and there are some kids that just go through life and don't, they just can't make friends at school. That's, that's always I feel sorry for those kids. We try to help them, but it's strange. Um, that is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Gotta think about that. The very, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. If I want a, fr- you can't want a friend. You you want something else, and and you someone else comes along and they want the same thing, and you go, hey, yeah, hey, we want the same thing, okay? So kids that are trying to make friends and they just come off as obnoxious, okay? Because they they want friends, okay? And you can't want friends, you want something. And then that's why, that's why teammates are, because they're working together. That's why teammates are such good friends. You watch the gymnastics girls, okay? Most of those girls didn't know each other, but they have the same goal, same passion, same work ethic. And what are they? Boom, friends, okay? And by the way, when they quit working together and quit having the same passion, their friendship will fade. That's not bad. It's just the way it is, okay? They have the same goal. <clears throat> Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I don't care about the truth. I only want you to be my friend. You see, that's what kids do. Well, what do you think about that? I don't know. I don't care. I just want you to be my friend. And, and the kids just go. They just react like, I just can't deal with someone like that. Those kids that don't have friends tend to be clingy. And they try to cling to people. And they, they just starve. But they don't, they don't have any other interests or passions, okay? That's why it's, it's good to help kids involved in things. And then when they're involved in things and reading things and learning things, then they're going to have friends, okay? Because they're going to be doing the same thing other people do. Kids just sit around and do nothing. So I don't have any friends. I don't have any friends. I don't have anybody to go do something with. Well, just go do something by yourself, okay? And then what, what happens? 
You're going to find somebody else doing the same thing, and you're going to have a friend. Okay? Just go do something, and you'll get a friend. Don't try to go find a friend. It's very interesting. Um, Someone who says, I only want you to be my friend, no friendship can arise. Friendship must be about something, even if we're only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. (laughs) Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere cannot have fellow travelers. Okay? Okay, now how does all that relate to marriage? Okay, we're almost there. Um, Christian friendship is actually a, is actually a very rich picture, okay? Um, um, I'll, I'll, I have these written down, so I'll just say them. I don't... Oh, they're on your sheet. Okay, great. So we won't take the time to read them all. Um, Christian friends have the same hope, okay? Um, I... See, I always say that and I just can't not read it. <laughs> so Romans chapter 8. There's, there's a lot in Romans chapter 8 about the word hope. Romans 8 is just a great chapter. Uh, you really should memorize it. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 18. Um, oh, this is going to mess me up. This is not my translation. Um, okay, so, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Okay, that's the ESV. See, Christian friends suffer together, and they are suffering, but they understand that this suffering is not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. So they have the same hope. We, we can endure this, okay? And again, think husband-wife. It's like, this is really bad, sweetheart. This is tough, okay? Yeah, but honey, let's hang in there together because the glory that we have coming, the hope that we have in, in God's future, is it's, it, these sufferings aren't even worth being compared to what, the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Romans 8, 18, okay? We have the same hope, okay? Um, Christian friends. Christian friends confess their sins to each other. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. Um, the next one's wrong, Romans 15, 14. I don't know what that reference should be, but that's not it. Um, Christian friends um, provoke each other. By the way, Christian friends do point out each other's sins, but Romans 15, 14 is not right, I don't think. Okay, I mistyped that. Christian friends provoke each other to good, do good deeds, Okay, Hebrews ten twenty four. Provoke each other to love and good deeds. Okay, that's what friends do for each other. Christian friends in Galatians six two. They bear each other's burdens. I mean, you can go on and on. Okay, all the one another's of Scripture. Christian friendship is a very rich, rich picture. Okay, so now let's 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 we're almost down to marriage. Okay, in Proverbs two seventeen, we read we read the verse, but I I, I didn't emphasize the word. Uh, I was reading it for a different reasons. So read, look at Proverbs. 2.17 again. Um, actually, 16 and 17. Wisdom. You, if you have wisdom, you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the uh, companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. See, last time we read that verse, I talked about the word covenant. She promised before God that she would be faithful, and she did not. She's an adulterer. Okay? okay, but back up to the first part of verse 17. Who forsook who? Who did she forsake? The what? The companion of her youth. Now, it's talking about her husband, okay? But the word that's used is companion, okay? That's the word, the Hebrew word, A-L-L-U-P, the alep, okay? That word means special confidant or best friend. Now, it's talking about her husband that she's left, the one she made a covenant with. But the word that's used... Is a is her? You left your best friend. 
the picture of marriage is, a, is the closest of friendships, okay? And all that's true about Christian friends should be multiplied in a marriage, okay? We should be doing all of those things for our, our best friend, our special confidant, okay? Our spouse, okay? Christ is preparing us for an eternity with him. Um, okay, we, we just have to... Have to look at these verses, okay? Um, Philippians one six is uh, he who hath begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I believe that's Philippians one six. Uh, is that right, somebody? Uh, Ephesians one four. Um, uh, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, why? That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He's he's. Purifying us. First John three two and three is another verse. Second um, Corinthians three eighteen is is uh, just great in this regard. Second um, Corinthians three eighteen, uh, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. What's happening to us? We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We are being transformed. Jump over to chapter four, verse sixteen. So, we do not lose heart. Okay, believers, fellow believers, don't lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We are being transformed into Christ's image, okay? That's what God's doing in and for and to us, actually, okay? Uh, in John chapter 15, uh, Jesus calls himself our friend. That's very interesting, isn't it? That Jesus would call himself our friend. Uh, John chapter 15, verse 9. Um, and in some way, I just kind of, it's like, Jesus is not my friend. He's my Lord. He's my Savior, it's like friends just too, too down here for that, okay? But I, I don't get to decide whether Jesus is my friend. He called himself my friend, okay? Um, John fifteen nine, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be, uh, may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Wow, really? Yeah. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay? No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So Jesus is our friend. And then go back to Ephesians. Okay, almost done here. Back to Ephesians. And Jesus is not only our friend. We are not just friends. But he is, is the husband of the bride, the, the church. The church is the bride. Christ is the bridegroom, the, the husband. Okay, and, and we are supposed to love, love the church as just like... Love our spouse just like Christ loved the church. Okay? Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church. So, I won't read Ephesians 5.20. So, what is marriage for? Okay? 
what is marriage for? I have it there on your on your sheet, okay? Um, <clears throat> marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Oh, sorry. I, I'm not there yet, sorry. Um, an earthly picture of a heavenly reality, an earthly promise between a man and a woman that mir- mirrors God's promise to us, okay? Um, let me read Keller. Like I said, I'll have read this whole book to you. Don't worry about it. Um, If any two unrelated Christians are to provoke each other toward love and goodness and are to affirm each other's gifts and hold each other accountable to grow out of their sins, how much more should a husband and wife do that? This principle, that your spouse should be capable of becoming your best friend, is a game changer when you address the question of compatibility in a prospective spouse. If you think of marriage largely in terms of erotic love, then compatibility means sexual chemistry and appeal. If you think of marriage largely as a way to move up in a kind of social status in your life you desire, then compatibility means being part of the desired social class and perhaps common tastes and aspirations for a certain lifestyle. The problem with these factors is that they are not durable. Physical attraction will wane. No matter how hard you work to delay its departure. And socioeconomic status, unfortunately, can change almost overnight. When people think they have found compatibility based on these things... They often make the painful discovery that they have built a relationship on unstable ground. A woman who lets herself go or a man who loses his job and the compatibility foundation falls completely apart. But worst of all, sexual attraction and social class reliability do not give you any common vision. What is your marriage for? Where are you going? If you have mainly, if you have mainly mutual material and financial goals then that will serve to bring unity for a while. But such goals do not create deep oneness. For eventually, you'll reach them, or you don't, and then what? If you marry mainly a sexual partner or mainly a financial partner, you are going nowhere together, really. And those who are going nowhere cannot have fellow travelers. So where are you going? And see... The point is, we are, we are growing in our Christ-likeness. We are being prepared to spend eternity with Christ. That's where we're going. And so I have a friend, my best friend Janelle, and I'm her best friend. We're working toward that together. And one day, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? Um, so what is it for? Last, last sentence on your page, right? It's to help each other become what and who God wants us to become. That's what God's doing with the church. And that's what we should be doing with each other. Why don't you just, just think about that and uh, maybe... What, is, what, is, what does that do? Um, when, I, when I started reading these things and thinking, and I, I said it last night, I thought, man, poor Janelle. <laughs> I should have learned these things 25 years ago. Okay? We've been married 27 years. I'll give myself a couple of years to learn, okay? I should learn it 25 years ago, okay? Wow. Okay. But, but, you know, I'm okay with that because, I don't know, for whatever reason, God just didn't bring... I've, I've just learned along the way, okay? I just get impatient. I wish I would have learned them a lot faster, okay? It would have been better for Janelle if I would have, okay? Um, but has anybody had that same thought? It's like, man, we've been married a long time. We just, we just hadn't done this like God wants us to. Anybody else in that same boat? Okay. <laughs> Some of you young couples are like, no, we're never fine. You know? uh, 
some of those older couples like, you know, by God's grace, though, he's, he's, like, he's brought us along his path anyway. The heart of man plans his way, Proverbs 16, 9, but the Lord directs his steps. So we look back over our lives and we go, okay, the Lord's directing my steps, okay? He, he has me where he wants me to be, okay? I'm a little impatient and, oh, okay, God's not, in, God's not going, doggone it, okay? God's just going, I'm, I got you. Okay, we're coming. We're, you're fine. Okay, we're, we're getting you there. God knows what he's doing with me, okay? It's a good thing. Um, so one, part of it kind of saddens me a little bit, okay? But on the other hand, what does it do? I mean, we've been married 27, and I've, I've met folks who've been married 59 years and 50 years next month, okay? I, I said congratulations, okay? I hope I can, I hope I get to come to a marriage enrichment weekend and, say, and sit there, okay, and go, we've been married 59 years, okay? That's going to be fun, all right? So what that means is, if that's the case, I've got 32 years left. I'm not even halfway there. That's like, it's like, Okay, good. I'm ready now, okay? I got a long... I mean, Lord willing, till one of us dies, or the Lord returns, which is a distinct possibility, and becoming more distinct as we uh, go day by day, but until the Lord returns and one of us dies, we get to stay married, and we get to do all this stuff, okay? So, so it's a little sad, because I've, I've just not used my time really well, unfortunately, but it's like, okay, let's not cry over spilt milk. Let's, let's go on, okay? Let's, let's take what we know now, and... Let's grow and then do these things together, okay? Uh, to me, that's very, very exciting, all right? Um, okay, almost done. Uh, a little bit longer section here from, from Keller, okay? If you don't see your mate's flaws and weaknesses and, and dependencies, you're not even in the game. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you don't see your mate's flaws, deep flaws and weaknesses and dependencies, you're not even in the game. But, if you don't get excited about the person your spouse has already grown into and will become, you aren't tapping into the power of marriage as spiritual friendship. The goal is to see something absolutely ravishing that God is making of your beloved. You see every now and then flashes of glory. You want to help your spouse become the person God wants him or her to be. When two Christians fully understand this, who fully understand this, stand before the minister. <laughs> this is funny. When two Christians who fully understand this stand before the minister, all decked out in their wedding finery, they realize that they're not just playing dress-up. What they're saying is that someday they're going to be standing not before the minister, but before the Lord. And they will... This is... I got emotional when I read this. They will turn to each other to see each other without spot or blemish. And they hope to hear God say... Well done, good and faithful servants. Over the years, you have lifted one another up to me. You have sacrificed for one another. You held one another up with prayer and with thanksgiving. You confronted each other. You rebuked each other. You hugged and you loved each other. And you continually pushed each other toward me. And now look at you. You are radiant. I just got all choked up when I read it. It's like, wow, I just I kind of excited about standing in front of God with Janelle. I don't know if I'm going to get to stand in front of God with Janelle. I don't really know that. But, but I, she, he did give her to me, and it's my job to do this for her. Okay? And I just, I, if I'm not standing with her, I hope I get to watch when she gets to stand there. And I'll just be standing going, yeah, like, yeah, okay. Yeah, look at her. And folks, look at that girl, okay? Okay? That's, that's fun to think like that, okay? Romance, sex, 
laughter, and plain fun, which we have a lot of all of that together, are the byproducts of this process of sanctification and refinement and glorification. Those things are important. That the romance, sex, laughter, fun, okay? Those things are important, but they can't keep the marriage going through the years and years of ordinary life. What keeps the marriage going is your commitment to your spouse's holiness. You are committed to his or her beauty. You are committed to his greatness and his perfection. You're committed to her honesty and to her passion for the things of God. That's your job as a spouse. Any lesser goal than that, any less smaller purpose, and you're just playing at being married. Does that just take the whole concept of marriage and just go, (laughs) Yes, it does for me, okay? Almost done. There's one very important implication of this principle of marriage is friendship. If you see your spouse as mainly a sexual partner or financial partner, you will find that you will need pursuits outside of... This This is what happens, okay? This is why I'm reading it to you, kind of a repeat. But I, if you just marry out of sexual uh, passion or financial uh, you know, security, you will find that you will need pursuits outside of marriage to really engage your whole soul. In that case, children... Do you know people like this? In that case, children, parents career, political or social activism, hobbies, or a network of close friends, one or more of these things will capture your imagination, provide joy and meaning, and absorb emotional energy more than your marriage. And that will be deadly. Your marriage will slowly die if your spouse senses that he or she is not the first priority in your life. And by the way, he says first priority. That's understanding that our first priority is our relationship with the Lord. Our first earthly priority is our spouse. But only if your spouse is not just your lover and just your financial partner, but your best friend, is it possible for your marriage to be the most important and fulfilling relationship in your life. Okay. One more. We'll pray together and then we'll take a break. Is all this a lot of work? (laughs) Indeed it is. But it is the work we were built to do. Does this mean that marriage is not about being happy? It's all about being holy? Well, yes and no. As we have seen, that's, that's too stark of a contrast. You can't say is marriage about happiness or holiness. You can't, you can't, say, you can't do one or the other. Okay? It's, it's both. If you understand what holiness is, then you come to see that real happiness is on the other side of holiness. Did you get that? That's true in, in child-rearing as well, by the way. What should we, we, we be working for in the lives of our children? Their happiness or their holiness? Their holiness. And that is not what parents do today. Parents are just striving to keep their kids happy. What do you want? You know, they, just, they just surround their kids. They just, just keep them happy. Why? Because I want my kids to be happy. And I tell people, I, I, we do parent seminars and teach Sunday school class. And, and I say, I don't really care if my kids are happy or not. And that's not quite true. I'm, I'm exaggerating, okay? I mean, but look at my kids. Anybody that knows my kids, okay? My kids are fun. I, I mean, kid, people love my kids. Our goal is to raise kids that other people love being around. And that other people love having our kids around their kids. Did you hear me? We want to raise kids that other people go, can your kids come over and be with my kids? Why? Because they want my kids to be like your kids. That's how we think, okay? So our kids are happy. They laugh. They mess around. They, it's just, it's, I love it, okay? They're, I love our kids, okay? I have fun with our kids. And the older they get, the more fun I have, okay? But I really don't care if they're happy. 
people just look at me and go like, you're just weird, okay? I want my kids to be holy. And as I pursue their holiness and help them grow, which I do, actively do that, okay? I meet with my sons uh, Saturday morning at 6.30. I didn't this Saturday morning, today, but my two son, older sons and I meet at 6.30 at Panera Bread on Saturday. We, we pray together. We read a book together. Right now we're reading a book called Grow. It's about leadership. We've, 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 we're always reading a book together. Uh, we memorize scripture together. We memorize Romans chapter 8. Um, we, um, let's see, there's five things. Read a book, pray, ask how things are going, memorize scripture. Oh, check on the Bible reading. How's your Bible reading going this week? You ask them that question. And I always ask them about pornography. I look them in the eye and say, how did you handle temptation to pornography this week? And they ask me the same thing. Dad, did you have any temptation to pornography this week? And I go, No. They go, oh, good. So we, we always check into each other, okay? So I'm actively involved in growing my kids in holiness. Okay? My daughters, I meet with my daughters, and that's been a little harder. I hadn't quite figured that one out yet, but I'm working on it. But I, I'm, I'm growing, and I'm working on my kids' holiness, okay? And then what happens when they become more and more uh, healthy and, and hearty in their relationship with the Lord? What happens to their happiness? Okay? So happiness is a result of holiness, Okay? Holiness is your goal. Happiness is a byproduct. And the same is true in our marriages. Okay? Holiness gives us new desires and brings old desires into line with one another. So, here it is. If we want to be happy in marriage, which you should want to be and you should be. So, if you want to be happy in marriage, then accept that marriage is designed to make us holy. And if you'll accept that and work for your spouse's holiness, okay? Courage, correct, provoke, confront... Love, be faithful to. If you'll do that, then what's going to happen? You're just going to have a dog on good time together. Okay, you're going to have fun in marriage. All right, but don't go for the fun. Okay, people that go for the fun, it's like drugs. You have to have more and more and a bigger vacation, a longer vacation, and go to Disney World twice a year instead of once a year. It's just you just can't keep up with that. Okay, pursue holiness and happiness will be a byproduct. So, what is your marriage for? It's to present your spouse. Holy, acceptable to God, okay? Uh, without spot or blemish. What is marriage for? It's a picture of Christ in the church, but what's Christ doing to the church? He's purifying us. So what should we be doing with our spouse? Helping them grow in their purity, okay? In their holiness. That's what marriage is for. That's really countercultural, but who cares, okay? That's what God says.